morning, everybody, and thank you for listening to this latest in our podcast series, In the Know, when we look at the investment markets in conjunction with a guest. And I'm very happy to welcome back Chris Brown from IPS Capital, Chief Investment Officer. Chris, good morning. Morning, Neil. Thanks very much for joining us again. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like most of us, you're glad that 2022 is well behind us. Yes, and thank you very much for having us on again. I'm, I'm pretty sure that most of your clients, like our clients, are looking for a longer-term return. And we all probably say exactly the same thing to them, and that is that if you're looking for a long period of time return, investment return, then don't get too worried about what happens in the short term. Unfortunately, though, we're not made that way, are we? We, we see the negative stuff, and that starts to make us worry we can drive our emotions and certainly in 2022 there's an awful lot of negative about so looking ahead to 2023 can we be a little bit more hopeful i did my client note about a week ago and as part of that you summarize where the consensus for people like me is yeah the consensus anyway is that interest rates have gone up that means growth is going to slow down in 2023 as the impact of rising interest rates and rising energy prices hits basically and that's going to put pressure on equity markets that's the first thing and the second thing is that inflation is going to hang around a bit longer than people think and that's going to keep bond yields high so that was the consensus now i think that's a bit gloomy actually and i think there's some cause for optimism that we may have a better outcome than that and the, the numbers we've seen, so that, you know, we looked at that really the end of December. The numbers that have come out in the first couple of weeks in January have been a bit better than that. So if you just think about the US, I'll come to Europe and the UK. But if you just think about the US, then on the inflation side, we had inflation numbers yesterday. Yeah. Whichever way you look at it, I'll give you a couple of statistics. One is that just on a six month basis, and I, and I think I'm talking about the US because the US leads UK and Europe ultimately yeah. for yeah. markets, or markets, all sorts of things. But uh, on a six monthly basis, inflation is running at 1.9% in the US. So that's annualized six months. So that's, that's on the target, yeah. which is good. Yeah. And if you look at inflation swaps markets, which is where people put their money to basically essentially bet on where inflation is. In July, the swaps market is saying annualized CPI in the US will be 2%. Now, it might be right, might be wrong, but that's where the market is. So that's good news. And then I think if you look under the hood at what's called core inflation, which is the sort of strips out the more volatile stuff, because energy's come down a bit, various bits and bobs. And then if you make sure you use housing, some sort of current measure of housing that's up to date, core inflation is basically zero. Right. So how does that equate to the Fed's noises towards the back end of last year in terms of the interest rate cycle then, Chris? Because you'd expect if core inflation is that low and the swaps market is suggesting inflation of 1.9%, that would suggest to me that do they need to be increasing interest rates much more? Well, I think the the short answer is that the, the data I'm talking about came out yesterday. And there was also some jobs data that came out the week before, which showed it. Uh, wage inflation was cooling a little bit, which is also important. But I think, you know, the first thing is that I think the Fed are opting on the side of caution. They want yeah. to make sure the job is done. And there's, I've talked about three months and six months worth of data, mm-hmm. but I think they'd like to see a little bit more before they really, before they really move. The second thing yeah. is what happens is they say they're going to raise rates. And then yeah. effect what happens is say you're going to buy a car, right? Mm-hmm. If you, which is an important thing to buy and you're going to finance it. That has the 
interest rate rises priced into it. Because when you buy a car, you buy it effectively on a three-year interest rate or whatever it might yeah, be. Yeah. And that will price in the fact the Fed is going to raise rates. So a lot of the rate rises, although they haven't happened yet, have already hit the economy. Same thing with the mortgage market, actually. Same thing in this country with the mortgage market, where, you know, base rates are at three and at three and a half, but mortgages yeah. are at six because yeah. they, they sort of price in the expected rise. So a lot of that rate rise has happened. But yeah. the short answer is that people thought they would raise at 50 basis points at the, the next uh, meeting, which I think is February. Mm -hmm. In fact, it looks like to be 25. So, right. so, so, you know, this year, what you've seen is bond yields have fallen, bond prices have gone up, interest rates have gone down, reflecting mm -hmm. what I've just told you, which is the story on inflation is looking a bit better than it was, say, three months ago. Okay. But yet there's still an awful lot of talk around about potentially global recession. Yeah. So falling inflation normally means demand is falling. And if demand is falling, it normally means growth is, is falling. Now, yeah. that story, I think, remains intact. All I would say is two things. One is that if you think the economy is running too hot, falling growth mm -hmm. takes you back to something that's a bit more normal, a bit more neutral. That's a good thing. Yeah. And the second thing is, if you look at, and again, for the US, if you look at people run things called nowcasts, right, which is where you take current data releases and you use it to sort of extrapolate where the economy is right now. Uh, and if you look at that, US GDP or US growth in real terms was expected to be about 4% mm -hmm. for Q4. Mm -hmm. So you're looking right now at pretty strong growth, 4% growth, jobs, unemployment rates are at all time lows, and inflation's falling. So that's a pretty good mix. I yeah. mean, just don't yeah. stay this good forever. But you know, we we started this year talking. We started the podcast talking about 2022. Yeah. And how that was a tough year where you had growth yeah. falling and rate interest. You know, like a lot of bad things happening. All I can tell yes. you is, first couple of weeks of the year, we've seen some good news. So, um, and uh, you know, and um, we're quick to tell people the bad news in this business, but I think there's been some good news recently. I must admit, I, I tend to agree with you, and some can some can accuse me of being a little bit overly optimistic. But even though 2022 was a bad year. There were some encouraging signs that, that this would return back to normality this year in terms of we saw energy prices falling gradually from the mid-year. Mid um, we, we've seen oil prices drop. Today's um, November growth figures for the UK economy came, on, came in on the upside, which surprised an awful lot of people. That was good yeah. news to be seen. Part of the issue is because we sit in the UK. The UK, we had the energy crisis has hit us much harder. I mean, you know, I was talking about the US there, right? So we yeah, yeah. hit by energy we had the whole Liz Truss episode which caused a lot of pain in the UK that was not felt elsewhere no. and so it, I think the picture is better in the US because you're right that even if you look at the UK and also this is true for continental Europe the real economy has held up much better than people thought it would yeah much better so um, yeah your growth numbers but survey numbers are actually improving a bit in the UK and Europe Goldman came out with a note this week saying they didn't think there would be a recession in Europe this year you know they thought there would be I suppose, I suppose part of this business is it's reality versus expectations. And yeah. expectations were set very, very low at the end of, of 2022. So, um, yeah. so things, if, as long as things are OK, you'll sometimes see a rally. And we've seen a bit of a rally. We saw a rally in Q4 and it's carrying on. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think as a, when I think this morning, I was looking at the FTSE 100 and it's, it's not that far off. It's all-time peak. I think it was 7841 or something earlier this morning. Yeah. The all-time peak yeah. was 78 something or other. So, it does look as though there's been a bit of a bit of a market bounce. Yeah, there has been. There has been. And and backed up by the data and also yeah. versus where expectations were. I still think if you look out for the rest of the year, it's been a good start. 
And I think we've caught enough of it at IPS. I think we've been positioned for this a bit. But if you look out, it's still very, very uncertain how, yeah. how these will end, because especially, again, you come back to the UK, right, interest rates are going up. And I think we think about 40% of borrowers are either on floating rate interest rates or they're on two-year fixed deals that are going to roll off. The mortgage market is about to bounce to much higher rates yeah. and you've got the impact of higher energy. And that will yeah. have an impact. So, mm-hmm. so I think it's just happening with a bit of a delay. So how bad that is what the knock-on effects are, you just don't know. So I think the UK and Europe have a, a bigger risk of that than the US, which is in a much better place, but still, yeah. there's a lot of uncertainty. So so we're, you know, we remain on our, t- you know, you can't sound the all clear by any means. No, um, no, no. And, and I wouldn't want people to think that I was sounding the all clear because I don't, no. I don't think, I don't think we are clear of this at all. I think we've got a lot of volatility still to come, but I'd like to believe that we are turning the corner. And yeah, that some of the really negative returns we saw last year might be not totally reversed, but begin to show some kind of recovery over the next six, 12 months. Well, I think I think what I, what I feel pretty confident about saying, actually, is that the problem for last year was inflation. Yeah. And, and interest rates had to go up to slow inflation down and rising interest rates just put pressure on asset values everywhere. Yeah. I feel pretty good, having seen the numbers yesterday, that inflation is last year's story. So there'll be stories for this year that all sorts of things can happen this year. And I, and I don't want to sort of jump forward and think, well, you know, try and predict what they're going to be, because sometimes it's the surprises that can hurt you. But I think inflation is last year's story. So and that's good news because um, it takes the pressure off uh, interest rates and it, it allows assets, assets to breathe a little bit, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I, th- I think I read somewhere, and I suspect it was at the we- in the weekends, Sunday Times, I think, that this year is one of those very rare years when around the world there's no scheduled political elections which can cause uncertainty in markets so maybe maybe there is a bit of stability going on yeah Um, i think i think while we're being optimistic as well the other thing that's worth talking about is china yeah so china's coming out of its zero covid Mm -hmm. policy finally they're taking out the quarantines they're letting things go so if it's similar to developed markets you should see a pretty decent boom a pick up in growth pick up in markets and we've seen that actually last couple of months in china so again there's some good news out of that part of the world and, and in 2022 you know that that was not the case because there were zero covid there was lockdowns there was um, all sorts of different things happening now that, that that's good news and, and we put a bit more money into asia actually on the back of that but still mm-hmm. you know there's this whole the second round effect of that is that one of the things, you know, oil prices have been falling, energy prices have been falling. Yes. Yeah. One of the reasons for that is Chinese demand's been quite low. Hmm. So as they come out of lockdown, we may see a pickup of that. We may see a sort of second round of commodity energy price inflation. I don't know. So, yeah. but again, you know, I'd rather have China growing and doing well than the opposite. No, I, th- I think I would agree with you there. I'd agree with you there. What, what about the dollar strength, though, Chris? Because that, the dollar has been very strong. For a very long period of time, it seems to me, and it doesn't seem to be weakening very much. How's that going to impact, do you think? That's a trickier one because sterling hit about 105 at the lows. Yes. After the dollar, it's now back at 122. Mm. We have seen, you know, just as things haven't been as bad as people feared in the UK and Europe, so sterling's got a bit stronger and the dollar's got a bit weaker. Now, the outlook for the year depends to me a bit on how bullish you're feeling. So, yeah. you know, it's got weaker and then growth held up pretty well. Inflation's come off. Right. Yeah. And I think 
if the UK does well versus expectations, Europe does well, Asia does well, and, I, and I'm not sure we'll see a strong dollar. But on the other hand, if I'm wrong, uh, there is a recession that kicks in and it turns out to be worse than people think, then I think the dollar will be back as a strong currency and it's going to be something you want to own. If you feel bullish, I think you want to be short the dollar. And if you feel bearish, you want to be long the dollar, basically. So it, it remains a good hedge, if you like. So we're going to leave some in on a he- as a hedge basis, even though, you know, sterling has been getting strong, uh, stronger recently. OK, OK. I mean, one, one of the, the, the big stories probably over the last decade, of course, was, was the growth in large technology stocks, particularly in, particularly in the US, which last year was reversed. D- do you see that turning again this year? Because I'm not sure I uh, do, to be honest. <laughs> no, I think that the lesson that you get that, that I think is right is, you know, if you think about um, the 2000s, the decade that followed the 2000s after the dot-com boom, then it was kind of the opposite did well in the 2000s. It was value stocks, so cheap stocks yeah. and emerging markets. Then you hit 2010 and value and emerging markets did horribly. Yeah. And it was growth and technology. Yeah. But I think that period is over. And I don't know what the new thing will be, if I'm honest. Mm. There'll be some new thing or some new thing. We're on the lookout for it. Value and cheap things have done well again, and we own some some of those. Yeah. So we'll see. But I think, you know, the lesson is after these sort of long runs of outperformance end, yeah. you don't know. You normally don't uh, make your next outperformance on the thing that helped you the last time. You need to look for something new. Yeah, yeah. So no. Not a, no, and I think and I think the other thing about that is there was a lot of investment into, a lot of money went into the technology sector in lots of different ways. And that sort of fed demand for technology products. And as that slows down, I think you'll see a sort of loop effect where the technology companies will underperform as the investment drops into that sector. And, and you know, so, I, so again, I, I think they've got some headwinds yeah. coming up, having had tailwinds for the last few years. Yeah, yeah. So don't, don't expect that to be a driver of growth going forward, really. That's going to be perhaps yeah. a break on it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. So returning to the theme that right at the very outset, really, where I was talking about you know, we, we should be, clients should be looking to the longer term and try and bear with these these shorter term fluctuations and, and overcome them. Should we therefore be adjusting portfolios to reflect this changing mood? Because there is an argument going on, going on at the moment, certainly in the financial planning community, about whether the old 60-40 balanced portfolio idea of, you know, 60% equity, 40% bonds is the, is the right way to go. Is it? Isn't it? I don't know. It's um. It'd be interesting to hear your view on that. It didn't work last year. No, it didn't at all. <laughs> but if you're in the one year business, one year time horizon, you know, pretty much anything can happen to your asset allocation. Yeah. yeah. It had a very good run before that. A very yeah. good run for yeah. say 30, 40 years. It was the right place to be. And all I can tell you now is, as prices go down, things get cheaper. So. Yes. A mix of now bond yields are yielding above where I think inflation is going to be. So you can earn more on bonds than you lose on inflation looking forward. That's a pretty attractive asset and a pretty good hedge. So as long as inflation looks like it's rolling over, which does look like the case, then I think it's still attractive. Now, we have about 20 percent of our money in alternative investments, which are designed yeah. to be something else. And, that, and they worked and did well last year. So we're going to keep those on. But I think throwing 60-40 away now after a bad year would be a mistake. Just because, yeah. just mathematically, things have got cheaper. Your expected returns have gone up. Your yields have gone up. You know, yeah. it looks much more attractive now. It looks yeah, as attractive as it did 10 years ago. It's just a big debate going on within the financial planning community because, obviously, they're sort of looking at it and thinking, well, hang on a second. 
have bonds really been the stabilise that we hoped they would be? And that they certainly weren't last year. You mentioned their alternative investments, Chris. Now, I, I understand what you mean, but our, our audience may not. So when you say alternative investments, what sort of things are you talking about? I think there's really three sorts of things that we think about. Firstly, you have gold. I'll yeah. put policies in there as well, oil. Mm-hmm. This is, this, these are sort of designed to be keep pace with inflation, maybe do a bit better over the long run and be different. And I think gold's done that job. Yeah. Secondly, you have what I would call trading strategies. So things that involve not being along the market, but buying and selling without getting too technical, but hedge fund type strategies that you can buy yeah. in in usage format and put into to retail portfolios. So, and they've done okay, and they had a good year last year. So they're, they're like the opposite of the 60-40, and they didn't have a great 10 years, they had a good year last year. Mm, mm, mm. And then the third component for us is we look for investments that don't have much to do with um, the business cycle, but generate cash and can be inflation. And an example right. of would be a wind farm or a solar farm in the UK. Right. So you can own these assets in right. listed format. Yeah. They make yeah. about six, seven percent return with some inflation protection, which is pretty attractive. And yeah. then you've got the whole tailwind of energy independence and um, renewable energy to switch renewables. That's a tailwind behind it. And they, and they don't look that dependent on, you know, we were talking about inflation, we were talking about growth, all those things. They, they sort yeah. of chug along independently of all of that. So, yeah. so if you think about how we do it, we have most of our money in that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We don't have a huge amount in absolute return. We have a little bit and then we have yeah. some in gold. So to sum up this, because, you know, it's been an interesting chat so, so far, we've, we've really, I think both you and I, <laughs> probably feel that we can all be a little bit more optimistic than perhaps most people are feeling at the moment. But it's going to be a bit of a rocky ride over the next 12 months. Yeah, I mean, I think you don't want to get too optimistic, but I suppose is that there can be a mistake in our business where you, you get too bad. You read the paper, yeah. you get too gloomy, you know what I mean? And then yeah. you position yourself for the worst thing and the worst thing doesn't happen that's right yeah and and the last couple of months have felt a little bit like that so so we're pretty neutral overall we've got and we're a bit overweight in bonds and fixed income so we've done okay in this period and we'll keep our eyes out but i think yeah i just caution i'm not i don't want to be optimistic and tell you everything's going to be fine my only thing is i caution against being too gloomy yeah, and that's well. I think the thing is, there's a there's a tendency for the human nature to look at the bad side rather than the good side, isn't there? Really, it's um, this it's the fear factor, isn't it, that goes in that comes into play quite a lot. Behavioural economics and all that. Yeah, and also news. So news is generally bad things. Yeah, you don't hear too many headlines that are positive, do you? Really? Yeah, because like you say, people are just wired to click on bad news and sort of ignore good news. But but I mean, one thing we can be fa- we can be fairly certain is is that the sort of long-standing typical approach to building capital over time is to be in the markets rather than try and time the markets. That, that old adage, it's um, you're a fool if you think you can time them because very few people do. It's the time in the market than timing off the market that's more important. Yeah, I'll give you um, a couple of things that I tell my clients on stuff like this. Is There's been some, so you are perfectly allowed to do what you've said, which is go to cash, trade it, buy, sell. If you run the data, which people have done, on people that do that versus people that just sit in the market, uh, the last study I saw was the people that traded it, cash, all that kind of thing, on average were about 3% per annum below the people that just rode out the ups and downs. That's because it's tough. To buy and sell consistently and make money, you need to know more 
than the market. Yeah. And the market's pretty smart. It's generally driven by professional investors. Yeah. So there's that. And then to that, if you, um, Fidelity did this study, you might know this, Neil, but Fidelity yes. did this study where they looked at client returns, similar thing, but they looked at client returns. And the top for, for clients that traded, the top performing clients that they had were yeah. over like a 10 year period were people that died, yes. who couldn't do things or lost their accounts. So people who literally were unable to trade turned out to be their best traders. That is quite remarkable, but it, it does it does rather support the argument that we say to our clients, and I'm sure you say to your clients, that you have to stick with it, because if you stick with it, the chances are that you're going to come out ahead of it. But it might feel uncomfortable in the meantime. It always does, but there we are. Chris, I really do appreciate you joining us this morning for this recording. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. And hopefully we can welcome you back as a guest in the future. No, thank you, Neil. It was a pleasure. And thanks for inviting me as always. To the audience, um, thank you very much for listening. We hope you found that of some interest and reassuring, perhaps, that uh, we may well see investment returns improve over 2023. Thank you very much for listening and hope you'll be joining us next time. All the very best. Bye.